Daniel chapter 5. I'm pretty excited about Daniel chapter 5, and we're heading into Christmas. And, um, and, and what we learn from Daniel chapter 5, Daniel chapter 5, what Daniel, the book of Daniel was about is about God's people when they weren't in Israel, when they've been taken captive and been taken out of their land into a foreign land where they had different belief systems, where, where they, they struggled to follow God in a culture that seems to push against them. And don't we find that as believers, that we find ourselves in society where society is pushing against us. And um, so this is what the series is about, is what lessons can we learn from Daniel and his friends. And today we're going to be, we're going, to be going through Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. I, I remember years ago, back when my, in my teens, remember back in the teens you would eat anything? Remember you eat anything and you're like, I'll, I'll eat whatever, I'll, no matter what time of night it was. And I was pretty, I was really into my sports, I didn't really care. And I thought to myself, and, and I remember um, people telling us, you need, you need to take care of your body. And I was thinking to myself, you know, when I get into my 20s, I'll worry about it when I get into my 20s. And then I got into my 20s and then I'm still eating. Nothing changed. I'm still eating. And I, and I went to the doctors. Went to the doctor when I was about 28 years of age and I had the flu. Had the flu, had the cold. And I went to the, why do you go to the doctors when you've got a cold? It's so you can have a doctor's certificate for your job, right? This is what you learn when you become a big person. You have to get a doctor's certificate. So I'm going in there. I'm thinking, oh, all they're going to tell me is get some rest and take some Panadol. And here's $30. Thank you for telling me something I already know. But you know what the doctor told me? He's, I've gone in the doctor. I'm not feeling too good. I'm expecting him to say, well, just... Have a couple of days, have a rest, here's some Panadol. Hey, this is what he said to me, could you jump on the scale? And I'm like, jump on the scale? I'm like, I'm here for my medical certificate. What do you want me? So I jump on the scale. And he goes, mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean, mm-hmm? And he goes, 10 years ago, how heavy were you? And I was like, yeah, I'm here because I've got the cold. I'm not here for some advice on how heavy I am. And I told him how heavy I was back in high school. And I was like, that was back in high school. You know, I'm over 100 kilos now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over 100 kilos, and that was in high school. And he goes, you know, you need to do something about it because if you don't, you're going to keep going. And I was going, no, I'm all good. I worry about it when I get into my 30s. I got into my 30s, and you know what I said to myself? I worry about it when I get into my 40s. You know, if I wasn't so overconfident back when I was 28, I'll probably have a six-pack right now instead of a family pack. But... Uh, so if you're looking for a title, subtitle for today's message, um, it is The Trap of Arrogance. The Trap of Arrogance. Arrogance. I better get to my notes. I'm just kind of trap of arrogance. Arrogance is quite a powerful word. I was trying to think, what's a good title? That seems quite, quite like an arrogant title. But anyway, here we go. Here's the thing. No one planned, no, nobody planned to have bad health. Nobody planned to have a failed marriage. Nobody planned that. Oh, hey, you know, let's get married. In another five years, let's have a divorce. No one planned that. No one planned to be in debt. Anybody in debt? I don't have to put your hand up wherever you are. Anybody in debt? No one planned that. I'm like, I can't wait to leave school. I'm going to get myself in debt. I'm, going to, I'm looking forward. No one planned that. We didn't plan that at all. It's, here's the thing. When we allow arrogance into our lives, we begin to believe that we can control the outcomes. Just like, oh, you know what? I'll worry about it when I get into my 20s. Because I, I can control the outcomes. I get into my 20s, I'm going, what? I'll worry about it when I get into the 30s. I can control the outcomes, right? I'm just going to go to the pokies for 10 minutes, right? Because uh, I can control the outcomes. I'm just going to have one more drink because I can control the outcomes. I'm going to have just one cheat meal. 
Because <laughs> I, can, I can control the outcomes. One cheat meal, oh, I'm just going to have a cheat day. I'm just going to have a cheat week. This, I'm talking about the story of my life here. Is that right? Because we believe that we can control the outcomes. The book of Daniel, chapter 5, I really believe, holds the key to escaping the trap of arrogance, right? Because the book of Daniel is about how do you love well and stand firm in a culture of compromise? So let us get into Daniel chapter 5. We'll be going through, going through this book, and we're going to be ending next, next week. Because the book of Daniel, the first six books, is kind of like the historical books, and then the second half of the book of Daniel, we get into more of the dreams and visions. And so we're just looking at the first half of the book. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, King Belshazzar made a great feast for thousands of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands, Right? He's having the party of parties. You know, it's, not, it's, a, it's a bigger party than these social, social media parties. Let's have a, I'm going to put a party and put it on social media so I can incriminate myself later on up in Auckland. Anyway, <laughs> he's having a party of parties. And so he's, and, but here's the thing, we need to understand something. You're probably wondering, King Belshazzar, where's King Nebuchadnezzar? We've been reading about King Nebuchadnezzar. All of a sudden, we come to King Belshazzar. Well, right up until this point, King Nebuchadnezzar had been dead for 13 years. 13 years. In fact, who, so who's Belshazzar? Well, King Belshazzar is the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar is the last Babylonian king. Is the last Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar it is said that King Nebuchadnezzar married the daughter of King Nebuchadnezzar, so he can legitimize his claim to the throne. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was more interested in scholarly and religious study than he was ruling a kingdom. So he left the city of Babylon, and he went to the city of Tamar, where he would study. And he put his son, Belshazzar, in charge of the city. So he's, he's like the co-regent, put, puts him in charge of, of Babylon. And what we need to understand when we're reading Daniel chapter 5 is that two days prior to Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, is that King Nebuchadnezzar had just been defeated by the Medes and the Persians. The king, the king of Babylon has been defeated. Now they're knocking on the doors of the great city of Babylon because there's, there's one more piece of this puzzle to go down before the Medes and the Persians can call themselves the ruler of the world as take down that great city. So here we are, verse 5. King ba- Belshazzar made a great feast for, for a thousand of his lord, drank wine in front of the thousands. It's kind of strange. Why is King Belshazzar having a feast when he knows that his father has been defeated. What we need to understand about this great city, this great city is a double-walled city. It's a double-walled city, and it's surrounded by a moat, right? And the, the, the Euphrates River went right through, went right through the city. And they had these giant steel grates that, that, that went over the, uh, from, uh, down through the river so to stop any intrusions into the city. This, the city of Babylon was considered to be impenetrable. Hope I see that right. I'm going to say impenetrable. Okay, I'm going to look at my words. Answer, read your notes. Penetrable, right? And so this is what this, and in fact, the, the city of Babylon was considered to have enough food and enough supplies to last the city for 20 years. So if there was any attempted siege, they will outlast any sieges. So this is the city. So as we read chapter one, why is Belshazzar having a party? It's because he thinks he's invincible. You can, 
hear the arrogance of Belshazzar in chapter 5. He's like, Persia, I'm not afraid of you. You are insignificant. And I'm going to have a party and there's nothing, nothing that you can do. Let's get to verse 2. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now here's the thing, the, the wine drinking it wasn't the issue here. The issue was that, that Belshazzar, he takes the vessels that were dedicated to Yahweh, right? He's making a statement. He's declaring to Yahweh that I'm not afraid of you either. I'm, I defy even you. I defy the Persians, but I defy even you. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of the God of my grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Because I'm not afraid of you. This is, this is what he's doing. And I'm going to take these things and I'm going to worship these lesser deities, these lesser gods, these gods of gold, silver, iron, and wood. I'm going I'm I'm, I'm to give my allegiance to these things. And I forget you, Yahweh. Who do you think you are? I'm even more superior to you. You may have humbled my grandfather, but you can't touch me. Verse 5. Immediately... I love this because when we read chapter 4, I don't know if you remember chapter 4, as soon as there's King Nebuchadnezzar, he's walking along his wall and he's admiring his hanging gardens and he's like, and, he, and as soon as a proud thought came to his mind, what does the Bible says? Immediately God humbled him. And here we are, he's, it's reminding us here in, in chapter 5, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared. Just human hand, fingers? I don't know whether it's just like this or a hand. It appeared and it wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together, right? This picture that, that's being painted here is meant to be comical, right? <laughs> Arrogance is a funny thing, isn't it? Arrogance is a funny thing. It makes you believe something about yourself and your circumstances that are not true. And when re reality finally hits, all the lies that you stood on crumble and you become what you really are. See, this is a perfect picture of a man who thinks he is invincible. Anybody think they're invincible? For those of us who remember when we were younger, remember when we thought we were invincible? Until reality hit. And reality is a hard taskmaster, right? When reality, we, we learn the hard way and then we realize we're not invincible. So here he is, this man who thinks he's invincible, only to find himself mounting before the God of the universe. Here's the thing we either humble ourselves before God or God will humble us. Verse 7 Then the king called loudly. I love this. He called loudly. He's like, he's calling out to all his wise men. He says, all oh, the Chaldeans, astrologers, all, all you guys, will you follow us? Come over here. Verse 8. Then all the king's men came in, but they 
could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. The king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. We've been here before, right? Remember Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and none of the wise men could interpret this. We've been here before. Verse 10, the queen, because she heard all the commotions going on and she's not at this party, here's this commotion, she comes in. We know that this is not his wife because the earlier tells us that all his wives are already at this party. This woman is the queen's mother, what we will call the queen's mother. She is either Belshazzar's mother, but more likely this is his grandmother, the wife of King Nebuchadnezzar. So she's, she's an elderly woman. There's something about when an elderly woman speaks, the wisdom that comes out. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that, the, that it's the, for the young per- person, it's, it's your strength. That's, that, it's, it's our youth, that's our strength. And for the elderly, it's the, it's the gray hair, it's the wisdom. It's the experience that comes with it. We need to listen to our elders. We need to listen. When you see someone with silver hair, you need to listen, stop, and listen to the wisdom. O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Come on, pull yourself together. (laughs) There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, she begins to to compare him to her husband, right? Your father, the king made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, which means protect the prince. The king named Daniel protect the prince. This was his role. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. I love this. We have this pagan woman. This pagan woman gives a good testimony of a follower of Yahweh. This pagan woman gives gives a good testimony of a follower of Yahweh. Daniel was a man of good reputation. He first comes to the empire of Babylon, taken into captivity as a teenager. Now he's in his 80s. He's got silver hair now. He's in his 80s. His job was to solve the king's problems. He worked and he lived among them, and yet he did not compromise his faith. He wasn't known as a complainer, like, oh, you know what, we, we, we Jews, we Jews living in the, we should have our own place of worship, we should be able to worship the way we want to. He wasn't known as a complainer. He wasn't known as a protester, you know what, we have the right to worship Yahweh like we did back in Jerusalem. He wasn't known as a protester. But he was known as a man of godly character, a man of good reputation. Here's the thing. As a follower of God, what are you known for? What are you known for? What is your reputation in your workplace? What is your reputation in your community, in your place of education? What is your reputation in your family? What are you known for? Are you known as someone who lives a godly life? Or does your life look no different to those around you? Do people seek you out for advice or do they avoid you like the plague? What is your reputation? Daniel was a man of good reputation. Verse 13. 
Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I just want to remind you, you're a conquered person. You serve me. I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretation and solve problems. Daniel, are you a problem solver? Because I really need a problem solver right now. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple. Purple was the color of royalty. And have a chain of gold around your neck. It's a, a, a chain of gold means authority. You have a, you, people see you coming, you're wearing, you got, you've got my authority on you. And you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Why only the third ruler? Because King Nebuchadnezzar was number one. Belshazzar was number two. He could only grant third. That's as much as his authority. He can give third. Verse, 20, verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, I love this, let your gifts be for yourself and give you your reward to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. I love this, you know, because this really does crack me up when I read this. Like Daniel's in his 80s. He's in his 80s and he's at the age we don't really care if you offend people. You notice that sometimes? You get a certain age, you know, because you've got a lot of wisdom and sometimes you just don't, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to tell you like it is right? And he's like, you know what? I love it because when we read in, in, in Daniel chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's, when he comes before King Nebuchadnezzar, he's like, your majesty. And he comes before King Belshazzar and he goes, you can keep your junk. I'm just here to tell you what God is telling you. I'm just going to get straight to the point. Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Now he starts comparing him just like the, his, his, his grandmother comparing the king Nebuchadnezzar. I just want to remind you that you're nothing like your grandfather, by the way. Verse 19, And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and which he did. We just have to read uh, um, early parts of Daniel. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. Daniel is describing two realities. Here's what God gave your grandfather, and here's what he did with it, right? What's that old proverb? That proverb from the book of Spider-Man? What was that? With great power comes great responsibility. Verse 20, let's get into this. Let's get back to the Bible. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken away from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. Right? He became like a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, meaning he slept outside. Remember Genesis chapter 1? Humanity were meant to rule over the beasts. But it's when we come to 
to not trust God and to redefine what is good and evil in our own eyes, that we become like the beasts. We just have to watch the news and what we do to one another and how beastly we can come, become to one another. You just have to see people fighting on the streets when you're going to sleep at night. Someone's having a party next, next you're not. There's a mess of, uh, depending what area you live in. <laughs> you just close your windows and things like this. You, honestly, the way people treat each other. Look at this, even this pandemic. We become like the beast when we redefine what is good and evil and our own eyes take the fruit. And I'm going to decide, I'm, and nobody's going to tell me what's good and evil, I'm going to redefine it for myself. No one's going to tell me, not even God's going to tell me. I'm going to redefine it for myself, and we become like the beasts. Remember Cain and Abel? Remember that, if you're familiar with this story? And God warns Cain? What does God say to Cain? He says, says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. God describes sin as a beast. Come on. This beast is crouching at the door. Don't let this beast take hold of you. Don't become the beast. And so, so God, he, he, gives, he, he lets Nebuchadnezzar, he, he turns him over to his desires and he becomes the beast. Let's get back into the verse. Until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sits over it whom he will. That actually, come on, we got to humble ourselves before God. I love verse 22. And this is what he says to Belshazzar. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, you already knew this. I'm here to tell you something, but you already know. The fact scholars will tell us that Belshazzar was old enough to hear the stories, old enough to see his grandfather go crazy, become like a beast. And he was old enough to see his grandfather declare and humble himself and get back into authority and make a declaration go out that, that one God reigns. He already knew all this. But here's the thing. He saw his grandfather and he saw him being humbled. He thought, well, that was a lesson. That was a lesson that my grandfather needed to learn, but not me. That's the, and, and don't we do that sometimes? We, we're like, well, man, Belshazzar, you're such a fool. But we're like, hang on. Aren't we like that sometimes? We see someone who's, who's been raised to great heights and they've been humbled and brought down. And we're like, ah, look at you. Ah, see, you didn't learn, right? And we are exactly the same. If we don't learn the lessons, we will be humbled as well. Let us not be caught in arrogance. Because the number one person, the number one person that you fool the most, the number one person that you are so good at fooling is yourself. You're so good at fooling yourself. We come up with the biggest excuses to excuse what we do. Right? I'm just having one meal. There aren't as much sugar and carbs in this. This is what I'm telling. I can't excuse myself or whatever, I'm just switching on the computer, I'm just having a look, oh, well, you know what, it was only one bottle, it was only one joint, it was only one, whatever it is for you, because we believe we can control the outcomes, right? See, I don't need to tell you what you need to stop doing. See, I don't need to tell you that, because you already know, just like what Daniel said to Belshazzar, you already know this, you, you already know this, Belshazzar, I don't need to tell you this, you Stop fooling yourself. Stop pretending you can control the outcomes. Humble yourself. But you know what? You ain't going to humble yourself. And you already know this, Belshazzar. Let's go on to verse 22. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heavens 
and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lord, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know that the God, and I love this, in whose hand is your breath. And whose are all your ways you have not honored. The very breath that you breathe is not your own. Did you know that? That the very breath that you breathe is not your own. And we'll say, oh, yes, it is. I'm my own man. You can't tell me what to do. Uh-uh. I'm my own woman. I'm own whatever you want to call yourself. Uh-uh. Actually, no. Actually, no, it's not. When God says you're done, you're done. And there's nothing, nothing you can do about it. Verse 24. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. And this is the interpretation of the matter. And Daniel begins to interpret what he writes. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and have been found wanting. You've been weighed, guess what? You've been found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. He says many twice, meaning you are absolutely done. You're done. No second chance, no third, fourth chance. In fact, you had plenty of times before, but here, you're done. I put you, and he goes, Tikal, I put you on one side of the scale. You know those old scales? I'll put you on one side of the scale. I'm, I'm on the other scale. And guess what? You don't even move me. You don't. And we're like, you know, oh, that's just Belshazzar. But you know what? If, if, if you put me, if, if, if I'm put on that side, guess, I, I think I'll move God. I, I think I'm good enough. Right? What does the Bible say? What, is, what does the Bible tell us? It says, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the what? The standards of God. There is none that are righteous, not even one. All have turned aside. That's why God, who loved you so much, stepped into his creation and he bind himself with flesh in the fullness of Jesus. And on the cross, he dies for your greatest regret. He died for all your sin so that you can be free. Here's the thing. When we humble ourselves before God, when we stop seize, seizing the right to redefine what's good and evil in my own eyes, I say, you know what, God? I've been doing this. I've been, going, I've been doing this circle for a long time. But right here, right now, I repent before you and I humble myself. Forgive me for my sins and I receive Christ. I receive you. And when we clothe ourselves in Christ, and God puts us onto that scale, guess what? We move God. But without Christ, we become like Belshazzar, unworthy. Verse 29, then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom for about 12 seconds. <laughs> Belshazzar in his arrogance, in his arrogance. Oh, everything's still going to be, oh, it's okay. I still can control the outcomes. I can still control the outcomes. 
Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom. And being about 62 years of age, history actually tells us what happens and how the city was taken. While they were having a party, thinking we're safe in our ivory tower, right? What did the Persians and the Medes do? They, they divert the Euphrates River. So much so that the water the flowing into the city lowers so much so that the army was able to slip underneath the steel gate. In fact, historian, ancient historians will tell us that the city was taken without a fight. So what does this mean for us? It means, come on, we've got to be careful that we don't become like Belshazzar. It's easy for us to say, well, he was just a fool. That's not me. That's him, Right? It's like, you know, sometimes we read the New Testament about the Pharisees and we think, oh, look at those Pharisees, what a fool. And sometimes and then we become like those Pharisees. We become like Belshazzar. Arrogance and think we can control the outcomes. But let's be reminded when we look in the mirror, that's us too. You can fool a lot of people. But the number one person that you fool all the time is You. That will never happen to my marriage. That will never happen. That happened to them. That's not going to happen to my marriage. That will never happen to my finances. I'm financial, financially sound. That will never happen to my finances. I will never be misled like that. Right? Have you ever heard those words before? I will never become an addict. The thing is, we know what we ought to do, but we don't do it. Right? You know, you know what it is that you're struggling with. And you know what you ought to do, but we don't do it. We just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again, expecting different results. <laughs> According to Albert Einstein, that's called the definition of insanity. Because we believe that we can control the outcomes just like Belshazzar. But when we invite God into the situation, come on, He will cause you to ask the right question. When we call God, and here's the right question. This is what we need to ask in every situation that we find ourselves. If you want to escape the trap of arrogance, this is what we need to do. This is what you need to, in your marriage, raising your children, in your business, going shopping, going to Countdown just to buy food. This is what you need to ask. You need to invite God into your situation. And this is what you need to ask. God, what is the wise thing for me to do? What is the wise thing for, not, I'm not, what's the right thing for me to do? But Lord, what is the wise thing for me to do? Because when you ask that question, I'll tell you, it stirs you up. I remember, you know, I was, I needed to consolidate my, 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 my debt. If I consolidate all my debt, I'll just have one debt to pay. And I think it's right. I think it's good. And I went through all the process. And I was thinking, man, come on, Lord, be in this, be in this, Lord, help me. And all I had to do was press the button. It was that easy. It was online. Press the button. They make it so easy for you to get in debt these days. <laughs> so all I do is press the button and boom, it happened. But just before I pressed the button, I stopped. I said, Lord, what is the wise thing for me to do right now? And just like that, I knew the answer already. And the answer was, actually, don't, don't do this because the interest that you're about to, I'm about to heap more interest, more interest. And, and you, you think it's going to solve some problems now, but for the long run, you're, you're adding more. You're giving yourself more in debt. And as we began to sit there, God began to speak to me. I already knew what I needed to do, right? I asked, why did I ask that question? And so I didn't do it. I said, okay, I've got to stop doing things. You know what? Maybe 
just don't, don't feed my kids this week. No, just kidding, I didn't say that. Uh, and you know what? And, and this led to us getting being approved for our, our first mortgage for our house. But if I had done that, it would have been a bit of a harder for us. God knew beforehand when I asked that question. When I was 28 years of age and the doctor said to me that I need to change my lifestyle, I believed I could control the outcomes and I didn't. I said, you know what? It's all good. I've got this. Age of 35, I was now living in, we were living in Hamilton and they were giving these free, come along, we'll do, come along to the community center. We'll, we'll, we'll test your blood pressure, do, do these tests. We're doing a free one for your area. So I went, oh, I'll do that. And my results came back. And my results at the age of 35, I was borderline high blood pressure, borderline diabetes. I was on a high chance of having a heart attack. And they said, well, you need to change your lifestyle. And I was going, yes, I do. I left that place and guess what? Nothing changed. Because I still believed that I could, I, I still believed that I could control the outcomes. My lifestyle didn't change. Until I, I was a couple of years later, I'm there and I'm, I'm at Promise Keepers and I'm watching and I'm seeing some of the guys there. And I, and I felt God say to me, you need to look after your health. If you want to be ministering to people right through to your Yalta's age, you need to look after your health. And so I said, okay, Lord, what is the wise thing for me to do? And as soon as I asked that question, I knew what I needed to do. Stop fooling myself. Stop pretending I can, I can, I can um, control the outcomes. And I started to change my lifestyle, change the way I ate. And at 38, I went in and I went for a, a test. And they, they, gave this, all, they had this thing, come for a free test. And we're going to test all your figures. And I went through the testing, and they had this little ratio. You had to be at 15. The ratio was 15. If you at least 15, if you hit that 15 mark, then you're going to be a low, low chance of having a heart attack. You got to hit 15. So my goal was, okay, I want to hit that 15. I went in, did the blood work, did the fluid test, and all that kind of stuff, and my results came back, and I wasn't at 15. My figures came back at six. I was, I was, I was half what I needed to be, and so I was like. And they go, wow, you're actually good. Your health is really good right now. Just by changing, just by doing the things I already knew I needed to do. What, Lord, what is the, not what's the right thing for me to do. Should I eat this chocolate? I'm feeling really sad right now. Maybe I should eat it right now. Actually, what's the wise thing for me to do? Right? Here I am now. I'm in my 40s. I praise God. I haven't got a, haven't got a six pack. Still got a family pack. But hey, I'm still under 100 kilos. And I praise God for that. What is the wise thing for me to do? You need to ask this in every part of your life in a relationship, if you're in a relationship with someone and you're like, I'm going to go over to their house tonight, ask yourself, what's the wise thing for me to do, right? I'm about to, to, to um, get a loan. What's the wise thing for me? I'm about to put something on pay, what they call after pay. What's the wise thing for me to do? Maybe the wise thing for me to do is live within my means. Oh, that's an idea. It's really hard for us at times. We need to ask God, what is the wise? Invite God and humble ourselves. What is the wise thing for me to do? Come on, let us pray.